Hello everybody and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dawn version of the Brodo Fantasy Podcast where we go dynasty deep and talk about everything dynasty. Today, I got my first guest on the podcast, uh, Themi, at Gridiron Greek. You may know him for all of his antics on the social medias. Uh, what's up, Themi? How you doing? What's going on, Matt? It's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. It's always a good time when me and Themi get it kicking. We're, we've, we've done a few crunch times together, and it's always a blast. Um, yeah, today, I mean, we can get right into it. We're going to be covering the NFL Combine, recapping the top scores, um, kind of going into how you should view athletic grades in your rookie process and your when analyzing the prospects that are coming into the 2023 class and how much these scores really matter and how they affect and translate to points per game, which are the most important things for your fantasy rosters, obviously. Um, first, before we get into anything, I think Tim would be remiss if I didn't touch on a little bit of news and notes. And the biggest and most obvious thing I think that we have to cover is Derek Carr signing a four-year, $150 million, $100 million guaranteed contract with the New Orleans Saints. Um, right off the bat, I mean, obviously, I think that was one of the more obvious signings. It's certainly, you know, one of the biggest dominoes that's going to fall this offseason. He was the perfect fit. He'd already been there in positive interviews and whatnot. I think it was just more so when it was going to happen. Um Saints get themselves an upgrade at quarterback undeniably, but how much of one is still to be seen? Um, how do you feel about it, Themi? I mean, hey, man, you're, you're the Saints fan over here. I, j- just the fact that you're excited about it is is really good to hear. Um, I, I think Derek Carr's a good fit there. Uh, they, they do need a quarterback. I was kind of hoping he would go to the Jets. I think I would love to have seen him live. Maybe I can catch him uh, if he does play in New York. But, uh, you know, Chris Olave is going to be the number one wide receiver there. He was last year. Uh, it's assumed that Michael Thomas is going to get cut. Alvin Kamara yep. is probably not going to be back on the team. Um, so that leaves him with one big weapon, which is essentially what he had last year. I mean, he had Darren Waller, who was kind of having a down season. Um, but, you know, it was things weren't really working out there. So it's kind of good to see him on a team where you know that they have the ability to draft uh, a little better. And I'm just kind of excited to to see him there. But you know, I'm, I'm not like holding out for uh, for a phenomenal season for the Saints just because of that, but uh, I, you know, a good a good a fit as any. Just was hoping yeah, the Jets there. I, I do think that. I mean, I think the Jets are probably going to be the number one suitor for Aaron Rodgers this season with some of the draft capital that they have and, and being just one quarterback away supposedly with that roster. I like Carr to the Saints. I mean, I don't like how much money it is, but. Mickey Loomis is also a cap genius. Like there's a reason that he's signing this contract and he'll work around the other contracts on the roster to be able to be cap compliant by March 15th. Um, but that's just it is you kind of leaned into it is Michael Thomas is likely a cap casualty now as if he wasn't already. It, it seems almost set in stone now that he must be cut. Otherwise, that 30 million guaranteed kicks in um, immediately the day after the final cut day on March 16th. Um Demario Davis and Marshawn Lattimore may even have to restructure. I don't think the defense is really going to see as many casualties, at least big names. Cameron Jordan seems to be one that keeps popping up, but his contract is built in such a way and he's such a staple of that defense that it's actually detrimental to their future cap if they cut him at any point in the season or trade him away for that matter. So much of his contract is guaranteed and rightfully so as CJ has been one of the best defensive ends in the league. So it, it seems like the offense is going to take a bit of a hit as far as top names go in Michael Thomas, potentially Alvin Kamara. Um, they don't have much draft capital. Yeah, they have the back end first from the Broncos and then can kind of retool in future years with their own picks should they continue to bottom out. But I think signing Derek Carr absolutely puts them in the hunt to win the NFC South because that division is horrendous and, and no Tom Brady makes it even worse. Sure, there may be some quarterback movement uh, elsewhere coming into those um into those teams in the NFC South. Carolina may be looking for a quarterback. Obviously, the Falcons should be looking for a quarterback in Tampa Bay as well now. Uh, but it's either going to be rookies or free agents that are lesser talents than Derek Carr. So I think the Saints probably got the best situation out of four teams in a poor division that are all vying for 
new quarterbacks. Yeah, that, that makes said, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, well, that said too is I, I think we should just hop right into quarterbacks from the combine and, and start talking about some of those quarterbacks that those teams might be looking for. I mean, it, it's obvious. It, it should be the name on, on the tip of everyone's tongue, and that's Anthony Richardson. And he had a phenomenal combine. Um, but the question really is, how much do these stats truly matter for? quarterback success like we've seen lots of athletic freaks and and lots of konami code quarterbacks but i think it should be worth noting that a guy like anthony richardson was as athletic as he was and tested as good as he did and didn't have a phenomenal collegiate production to back it like there is something to be said about how guys perform on the field specifically at the quarterback position because if you look at like historic point per game trajectories and in wins above replacement for draft uh, or quarterbacks coming out of the draft and, and like what affects their draft position the most size is certainly one of the things that affect their draft position specifically, but it has very little correlation to their points per game and their wins above replacement 40 time has a huge correlation to their draft stock but again a very minimal correlation to their wins above replacement and it's everything athletically for quarterbacks has a very minimal correlation so yeah anthony richardson had a phenomenal combine but does it really matter and athletic grades are important for raising draft stock and we know that draft stock is important for being able to bucket prospects when you're looking at their production profile attached then to their draft stock and it can shorten the window and tell you kind of okay we've seen this x amount of quarterbacks with over a thousand rushing yards at this position in college football and being drafted in the top 15 if anthony richardson were, were to fall into that bucket it would certainly be very positive for his outlook but the production that he put up in college isn't overly positive for his outlook and Athletic grades are a piece of the puzzle, but a very minimal piece of the puzzle, especially looking at the quarterback position. Yeah, I do wonder, though, because I'm looking at the chart because you shared it with me um, and I see, you know, what what correlates to to war and what correlates to draft position. And like you said, with quarterbacks, uh, draft position, you know, you can see an obvious correlation there. Um, but with war, you really don't. But I wonder if athletic scores are now sort of starting to increase in terms of um you know, things like wins above replacement or even fantasy points, because that's really what we care about at the end of the day. I mean, obviously we want to see our teams succeed, uh, but, you know, with players like Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, you know, does a three cone score or a shuttle score, does that correlate more recently? And obviously I know you don't have the the exact answer for that, uh, but I think it is interesting as we see uh, this quarterback landscape shift year after year. Um, I don't know if these are perfect because nothing really is, um, but that is something you have to consider when you look at these, but quarterback is the hardest well, position to to scout. So, I mean, it, it's always going to be pretty difficult to to find a, something that directly leads to a great quarterback. Exactly. And you, there's so many outliers of the position and so many guys that obviously it's it, – and because of the, you know, denominators matter, more quarterbacks are selected in the first round than any other position as well. So you see a higher bust rate for first, first round quarterbacks. That's going to be the case because denominators matter. But with that said, it's, I want to be very clear in, in that it, as an overall, like looking at the entire bucket of players, there have been more successful non-athletic quarterbacks than there have been athletic ones that said the advantage that rushing quarterbacks give you specifically to your fantasy teams and to your roster can never be understated there's a reason that we call them the konami code it, you don't need to be able to bolster phenomenal passing production when you are that good of an athlete all of that said, we'll get into the numbers a little later. Certainly putting scores up like that are going to affect your draft stock, and it's and which will affect your dynasty draft stock and where you're taken in Superflex rookie drafts. And Anthony Richardson, for everybody's money, has solidified himself as a first-round draft pick. And that will change the landscape of how even just the trickle-down effect of how rookies are valued. If Anthony Richardson was going at the back end of first in early mocks or even a little later, um, and now he's going at the one, two, one, three, 
as you know the best Russian quarterback in the draft, and perhaps he's favored a little less than Stroud or, or Young still, but going in that range certainly, then you're going to get better value for your later rookie round picks as well. Um, that leading into that, like running backs are the athletic scores that kind of matter the most when you're projecting their career trajectory. Um, it certainly matters the most for draft stock uh 40 times are going to be king they're they're if you're fast and hit a high 40 and you have good bmi like the nfl is going to love you especially if the production profile attaches so so guys are always going to be slightly overvalued for their athleticism but it absolutely correlates at the running back position so when you're asking yourselves you know like how much do these athletic grades really matter and how much should i invest into my rookie profiles if a guy blows away the combine and I didn't expect him to a la Chase Brown the answer is production is always going to reign supreme but these scores do matter but they don't matter in the same way that they're marketed to us 40 is the most important for affecting draft stock once again but it seems that agility scores uh burst scores the 10 yard split are much more important stats and analytics for looking at actual production in the NFL and guys that have kind of what you would consider middling 40 times, but really good verticals or really good broad jumps or great agility. Those guys are much more valuable to their teams on field. And obviously as running back, it's one of the easier positions to kind of predict production from if they've got a great receiving profile that usually correlates to NFL receiving as well, but it's athleticism and production. If they check all of those boxes when you're analyzing rookies, that's a very positive thing. You should consider athleticism to be a heavyweighter because draft capital is also one of the biggest indicators for running back success. If you were just to take running backs that were in the first round, ignore everything about the production profile and just build a historic dynasty team of running backs that were in the first round, you would have an incredible hit rate. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense once you actually start to look at uh, how an NFL game is played. Because like you said, with running backs, maybe that 40 time isn't super important compared to the 10-yard split. And that's because, well, most running backs aren't running 40 yards at a time. They're trying to get, you know, five, six yards. So that initial burst might matter more. Um, the agility scores because, you know, you got defenders coming at you and you got to, you know, make the cuts. You got to have the vision. Um you know, they, they, they maybe matter a little more for how an in-game situation might play out versus, you know, no pads running in a straight line, because how often is a player doing that? Maybe for a returner, that could be a, you know, a big factor, just, you know, pure speed. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I think even the average person could, could figure it out if they just thought about it a little bit. Um, and it's nice to have the stats kind of show that that's really true. Right, right. And well, I mean, that that's exactly it is, is correlation doesn't always equal causation. But in, in this case, it, it certainly does. And it's kind of one of those like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, are they super productive because they're athletic? Or, you know, is the athleticism what leads to their production and, and, and vice versa? Or, or does that matter at all? And I think that's exactly it is you're go the running backs that have the best production also seemingly have the best athletic scores, which are also going to lead to the best draft capital, which also helps you bucket them into elite over you know replacement level prospects so it's not a perfect science obviously no but that's when i guess the difference between these other positions and and i'll, I'll highlight it with wide receivers in, in a second but that's where running backs kind of get a pass or at least it's a little bit bit easier is you don't necessarily need everything to be super elite if they have above average production above average draft capital and above average athleticism that's a very very good prospect to invest in and obviously a guy like Bijan robinson that checks all of those boss boxes at an elite level is somebody you know you should consider dynasty gold um and and for that matter wide receivers in concerns to athleticism this is where it really bothers me because to be blunt it doesn't matter like there's an, 40 times don't matter for wide receivers. It is the single most important analytic to affecting their draft stock and the single least important to analyzing how they affect their teams and their points on the field for your fantasy rosters. Like 40 times just don't matter. And I, I tweeted it out a while ago, but if you look at like the top 12 wide receivers in 40 times and, and where they even got drafted, um, 
in points per game over the last 10 years, like it's four fives across the board. It's four fives in Tyreek Hill like that. And, and, but so much draft stock gets put into John Ross, the third Jalen Hyatt. I'll, I'll just be you know blunt with it. Very limited route trees and incredible speed and, and Hyatt kind of disappointed actually with his 40 time, because he, for the prospect that we wanted him to be, or the draft capital that people were hoping he was going to get, he should have had John Ross numbers because everything else is, slightly a red flag but athleticism for wide receivers is just it's agility is very important and when you see good three cones good shuttle times for wide receivers that generally does translate to a higher point per game but like hand size is one of the most correlative things and people don't care you know to look up wide receiver hand size or like post about you know guys having 10.3 quarter inch hands but that's one of the things that correlates the most it's not 40 times and it's not vertical leaps it's nice to see at wide receivers with incredible athleticism but once again production with wide receivers will always reign supreme and if if you're investing too much into athleticism with wide receiver you will in inevitably always miss out on Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, all of them, because none of those guys have overly elite athletic scores in comparison to some of these John Ross types, Henry Ruggs types. And that it's just, it's an overly invested metric that has never correlated. It's great when you have a Jamar Chase, but it's not like he didn't also put up the 1,700 yards at 19 years old, right? That's what makes him the great receiver. It's his timing. It's his nuances. It's a chess game between wide receiver and defensive back, and speed is just a small variable. So much of it matters in 10-yard splits. You see really good correlation, deceleration, so things like the three-cone. And I'm... It's unfortunate, I think, for a lot of dynasty managers that that are trying to navigate these waters because you do see draft capital get dominated by guys that performed really well in the combine. And again, that helps you bucket guys into a smaller category of elite status. But for wide receivers, it should be the last thing, the last piece of the puzzle that you connect is their athletic scores. Everything else should have to line up first if you're going to invest this top end rookie draft capital in them. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now and the, the 40 time is like, the ultimate this thing for draft position based on this chart, not necessarily. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a small effect, uh, and then you see that the war is not really affected. Um, and like you said, you know, guys like John Ross and Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, Calvin Austin, who the Steelers just drafted, uh, they had Tree Archer at one point, and a lot of these guys don't really pan out. They they find a small role, um, but because uh, you know you need separation, it's and you know speed doesn't always equal separation. Uh, you need to be able to like make cuts. You need to be able to run a route correctly. Because if you just run straight, there's going to be a safety waiting for you. And after, if that's the only thing that you can do, uh, you know, they're going to catch on pretty damn quickly. So if you allow one touchdown, you're not going to really, uh, you know, keep getting those touchdowns that easily. Yeah, man. And I mean, that's kind of where, like, where college and NFL are obviously such huge levels. And yes, the SEC and SEC defenses and, and you know, that kind of conference adjusted um when, when guys are very, very good in that conference is obviously very important and, and kind of correlates a little bit better, but it's still like the safeties in defensive backs at the NFL level and that are funneled into the 32 teams in the NFL are, are simply better than any group of defenders any college player has ever faced, like period. So when you don't possess those nuances of agility um, and it is just straight line speed that you're relying upon, it, it's not going to correlate to points per game on your fantasy rosters. And you do see guys like Jalen Hyatt get overdrafted and and the kid won a Bolitnikov. I mean, he probably should be drafted pretty highly in your rookie drafts. But that said, he his red flags are limited, a limited route tree. Um, not the same 40 time that we were hoping for. Not incredible burst in and athleticism, but good enough and certainly enough to boost his draft stock to a point that people are going to think he's a better prospect than a guy like Josh Downs. And I just don't think that that's the case. Um, and I was just about to bring up Josh Downs, by the way, (laughs) I've got his RAS pulled up right now. We'll wrap it up with tight ends and and just to continue on, like how much you should invest in these athletic scores and how you should be kind of trusting your own process in, in how you should evaluate rookies, or, or I guess how I evaluate rookies with some success. Um, 
and tight ends is obviously the hardest one. Otherwise, you know, we would all have predicted all of the Travis Kelsey's in the, and people, you know, would have been higher on Pat Fryermouth in his rookie season, sophomore breakout and things of that nature. But they, they seem to be unpredictable and in certainly late career breakouts in the NFL. Now, athleticism plays a key, a major key um, to tight end success. But again, you seem, it seems as if things like the 10 yard split and vertical, which is explosivity and, and broad jump, which is explosivity are kind of undervalued and 40 time again is overvalued. Um, but look at all the great tight ends, man, like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and, and then the super athletic ones, Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, like there's levels, levels to that position. And I think why you see such late breakouts um, is because you're, you're everything. Like you're the fullback, you're a right tackle, a left tackle, a flanker, a Y, a tight end, an inline receiver, right? So it's an incredibly difficult position to produce at and an incredibly different, difficult position to develop at. It's why production at the collegiate level is for the tight end position isn't as important either. Like you look at these guys, collegiate production, and they certainly don't pop. Draft capital alone is a huge thing for tight ends. You like tight ends that get drafted early and you like athletic guys in general, but it's more of both the on-field drills for me with tight ends and really like film grades, which is something that I don't trust entirely in myself, but it's always going to come down to NFL draft capital. Athleticism should separate guys that you have in equal tiers, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't I don't fully buy into the draft capital with the tight ends. Um, I mean, how many first round tight ends are there realistically? Not that many. Um, but like, you know, usually you want like a day two sort of thing. So I, I do see it from that perspective. Um, yes, so at yeah, least I mean, like, you want like second, third round. That That's kind of what yeah. I meant is like that. That's a really good okay. starting point for tight ends. Yeah, that makes. Sense. I think I think speed score correlates really well with uh, success. Um, so you know, I, you're gonna find a lot of athletic freaks at tight end just because it it demands you to be an athletic freak. Like you said, you're asked to do you know 20 things at once, and it, once you get to the NFL, if you can't do one of them, uh, you might just be you know uh, the third uh, tight end on the team and just get nothing. Correct. You get no production. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and there. Speaking of like the 2023 class, like there are some really phenomenal athletes and some uber productive collegiate tight ends coming out and some guys that are just absolute monsters. But again, it's I think when valuing the rookies and when analyzing them coming in, you should definitely take into consideration their collegiate draft capital. But yeah, a lot of it is going to come down or their collegiate production rather, but a lot of it's going to come down to their NFL draft capital. And again, it is greatly affected by their NFL combine, but it's not the greatest correlator. And as you said, one of the greatest correlators is more so it's not necessarily their straight 40 times or their direct, you know, burst scores and agility scores, but how that correlates to their size um, and, and guys that can really be versatile blockers, runners, route runners. Um, and, and it's also a position that you have to be incredibly patient for when investing your rookie draft capital. Like guys are going to want to maybe not so much anymore. He'll, I, I think he's a major draft draft follower, but you know, Michael Meyer was a early second round pick and, and guys are really excited about him and a future dynasty tight end, but you're going to, it's going to take one, two, three seasons. And you're, you're thinking about passing up on some running backs or some wide receivers that could hit their career peak quicker, but maybe have less elongated career value especially in tight end premium leagues yeah i think trey mcbride was going uh you know about 201 202 in rookie drafts last Fact. year and you yep. know you, you weren't expecting him to pop off but you know if you're a manager who drafted him at the beginning of the second maybe the end of the first when you could have had like a wide receiver who put up decent production um Jahan you know, Dotson, probably, uh, Damian Dotson, yeah you're probably kicking yourself a little bit um it's not that it won't pay off like you said it just takes a while and you have to you just have to be willing to to wait that out or maybe just not draft them and try to buy low from a manager who uh, maybe doesn't have that kind of patience because That's your dynasty of... league might fold by the time they're actually at their peak. Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, make sure your commission is pretty good. <laughs> and that that's kind of a, a, a sneaky strategy is, is buying young undervalued tight ends after they crap out their rookie season or even their sophomore slump, because that's by no means 
the end of their career arc. If anything, it's just the beginning. Um, a guy like David Njoku, who is highly valued now, Evan Ingram, Dalton Schultz, like all of them. Um, and, and they're all considered, you know, top 10 tight ends. The, the issue with that position is also that you can flood the NFL with talent and it's until you land in a good offense, like landing spot is very important. When you get an offense that will actually utilize tight ends in the passing game, that's truly what's going to separate. Like you could be the most talented tight end. Look at George Kittle. He is one and he has some of the lowest floor games of anybody because he's almost too versatile and it's not a position that the 49ers utilize consistently in the pass game, especially if they're down an offensive tackle or, or down somebody on the O-line where George Kittle is going to have to block a lot more. And, and that's going to be the case for a lot of these rookies that you're enamored with is a lot of them are going to turn out to be blocking specialists. And it's not a knack against their talent. It's the position is utilized that way in the NFL by more than the majority of NFL coaches. Yeah, there's a, a tight end that really broke out that we'll probably touch on later. I know he's one of your big risers. He's one of the big risers for everyone. Um, but, you know, he's just a massive dude, and there's a lot of massive dudes at tight end. And uh, it's going to be hard to see him immediately find a role as a receiver, no matter where he goes, unless that team really likes to employ, like, a big tight end attack, like maybe Baltimore, for example. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these guys that we get excited for like you said, it doesn't necessarily translate into fantasy points, um, but they might be very key for their teams in general, which is, you know, depending on who you support, that's, that might be what matters to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's just time that we get right into the top scores and the actual numbers here, because there, it, it was a very impressive combine all around. And, and we've kind of seen a fast track the last two years, but maybe we're just starting to see some incredible athletes um, truly ascend above. We had two perfect 10 relative athletic scores that were one of one of their classes. So Anthony Richardson at 10.00 and Zach Kuntz, the tight end out of old dominion at 10.00 becoming the most athletic at their position in the history of the NFL combine. According to um, Kentley Platt at math bomb, uh, please follow him. Incredible, incredible combine analysis from that guy. Um, quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson topped out basically everywhere. He ran a 4.43 second 40-yard dash. Max Duggan was second with a 4.52 second 40-yard dash. Malik Cunningham from Louisville, 4.53 second 40. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, 4.56. Clayton Toon from Houston, 4.64. There's really only one name in that list that managers should be enamored with, and it was the guy that was teetering on first-round draft capital in the first place, and that's Anthony Richardson. It's nice to see some athleticism rounded out in this draft class, but I don't think any of those names passed AR in the top five. Um are going to see significant draft capital or have much more than NFL backup caliber careers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the top quarterbacks are basically set in stone at this point. Um, you know, even for the big risers, like guys that I like, like Will Levis and Stetson Bennett, just based on their passing drills. Uh, it, I mean, Will Levis is already going to be a top quarterback, but Stetson Bennett, you know, just because he threw some nice passes and maybe had a nice deep ball and whatever, um, you know, he's still going to be drafted like a backup quarterback. Whereas Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, he was kind of towards the end of that, like top quarterback tier. And now he's, he's really like rising just because of that athlete athleticism. I think Cam Newton was originally first in RAS, a uh, relative athletic score. And then he, uh, he topped him. There's a lot of great names up there. A lot of, you know, guys who, uh, you know, had decent careers, at least, uh, you know, very high peaks, um, and I think that's what you could be getting out of Anthony Richardson. And obviously he's the talk of the town. Um, not a fan of what I saw in the throwing drills very much, but that was never Agreed. his like strong suit. You know, a lot of like inconsistencies with the throws, uh, you know, some very high on the outside, um, you know, sometimes just like throwing it like a 90 miles per hour into a guy who's like 10 feet away from him. Um, so. Oh know, yeah. He, he likes to whip it. <laughs> But yeah, I think a lot of his issues are, are somewhat mechanical and, and as much of an outlier as he is, and we should probably, I mean, NFL GM should learn better, I think, and stop chasing unicorns. But you're looking at Anthony Richardson like a Josh Allen had, had a lot of mechanical issues and a lot of accuracy issues in college, but is an absolute 
tank of a human, you know, AR comes in at 6'4", 220, um, and can run a flat 4'4". Like, he's the most athletic quarterback in history. There's no way that GMs will not be enamored, and for good reason. If you can fix the small, intangible red flags, and I shouldn't say small, but if you can fix the major intangible red flags that almost no quarterback coach has ever been figured out how to fix, except for Brian Dayball that one time then you have yourselves what is a legit, undeniable, unmatchable athlete and superstar at the position. That alone has always been worth a first-round gamble. It is going to continue to be worth a first-round gamble because the guy, it's not just, yeah, he runs a 4-4-40, a 1.53-second 10-yard split. That was third of all quarterbacks. The top vertical jump, 40 and a half inches. The top broad jump, 10 feet, 9 inches. Killed, you know, at least the throwing drills power wise, like showed arm strength, I should say dominated the, the arm strength and the pop of the wrist. It was certainly something that was talked, um, but has some inconsistencies. And again, the other quarterbacks athletically Stetson Bennett topped everyone in a 20 yard shuttle and, and looked really good um, in throwing drills, but he's very small and size does correlate to draft capital. And he's also very old <laughs> and age does correlate to draft capital. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of these quarterbacks at the top of the athletic drills be significant producers at the NFL level. Um, but speaking of draft fallers and risers, I mean, Bryce Young showing up 510, 204. Good that he put a little lead weight in his socks so he could get above the 200 mark. But him refusing to throw and run any drills while Anthony Richardson put on the show he did athletically. CJ Young had one of the best throwing combines you'll ever see. Will Levi had an incredibly accurate day as well. It hurts his stock. I think you called him CJ Young. I think you were combining CJ uh, Stroud. Two, yeah, yeah. Two guys there. And I, I won't let my Buckeyes be slandered like that. Uh, but yeah, if there was a true faller, it would be Bryce Young. I don't think he falls very much. I mean, I, if he went second overall and first quarterback, I mean, no one would, would bat an eye. But obviously not participating in any drills, not throwing, um, and and coming in a little smaller, obviously a bit of a concern. I mean, if, if he, like, you know, put on a show during the combine, that would definitely, like, help any sort of mini fears that uh, GMs and coaches would have. But I, I just can't imagine it affecting his draft stock enough. I mean, it – is the gamble worth it for him? Probably not. I'm, I'm sure people advised him to just like, don't even bother. You're going, you're going top five. So, you know, <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. Obviously we've seen several high end prospects at the quarterback position, refuse to participate in drills and kind of just come for medicals and interviews. It happens all the time. And it, it rarely decimates their draft stock to a point of no return, so to speak. But I will say that the performance of his peers undeniably hurt him when the tiers were already considered so close. Will Levi's well before the combine, regardless of what the dynasty community wants to admit and Anthony Richardson as well, although people were obviously much higher on him for the rushing and athleticism, but both of those guys were in the rumor mill as first round prospects and potentially, you know, one GM or two GMs favorite quarterback prospect in the class. So when the tiers are that close and you see these guys kind of attempt at least to separate themselves, show some competitive drive and perform very, very well, it undeniably puts Bryce Young in a category where no, he may not be the first quarterback off the board. Now, I don't think it's unlikely to see, like you said, I don't think we would be surprised if he still was. Um, but I now I also don't think you should be surprised if any of those other ones are. Yeah, there's a lot of quarterback needy teams like all in a row. I mean, it, just the top 15. I mean, probably what like 10 of those teams need a quarterback. Uh, you know, if you're if you're at the front half of the draft, you usually need one. Um, and a couple of teams have extra picks, like the Lions. Um, so they may want to trade up or they might just wait and take one of the four guys there. Um, but you know, if one team likes a guy a little more, you know, no, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think you're going to see pretty similar career trajectories from Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, specifically Anthony Richardson, if some of those mechanics can get fixed and those accuracy issues do not translate to the NFL, which I'm not entirely convinced that they won't, um, then he could have the highest ceiling of anybody in this draft class and potentially 
anybody in the NFL. Like you really are talking about a Lamar Jackson esque trajectory. If the passing lines up with the athleticism, since we were kind of already talking about him and I want to hop right into it, I'm going to do the quick switch to tight ends. Darnell Washington is by far my biggest draft riser. I get enamored with these big boy tight ends, man. He came in 6'7", uh, 264, actually a little under the 6'8", 280 that he was listed at Georgia. That's fine. Whatever. He r- certainly ran fast enough, jumped high enough, um, looked great in blocking drills. By far the best blocking tight end in the class. PFF grades would agree. The combine film would agree. Um how are you feeling about Darnell Washington, man? Because he also made a really beautiful one-handed grab that isn't actually a catch, but in college rules <laughs> it is, so I'm going to let it pass. Yeah, I mean, I think you could hear them saying, like, you, all you have to do is catch it. Like, don't worry about out of bounds and all that stuff, because that's also, you know, the quarterback's in the drill too, so not necessarily yeah. that big of an issue. But yeah, um, I actually did hear some people talking about his blocking drill where he was just pushing that thing along, um, and they were saying that, like, his it's footwork insane. was, like, not textbook. Um, but you know, when, when you're that big, it's going to be hard to, to be a, a perfect blocker every single time. And if, you know, the grades that you trust are, are saying that, that he's a great blocker, then you, you got to trust that the dude is insane. I mean, even when he looks like he's not doing anything right, he still does everything like amazingly, like he's this big lumbering dude. Uh, you know, he'll just catch anything in his radius. He was perfect on the catching drill on like, you know, where he's like turning around, catching those, um, and, you know, he didn't look like, you know, insanely perfect, but it's like he's just so gifted and so talented. And you can tell like he puts in the work, too, uh, that it really doesn't matter if his form isn't perfect. Um, you know, it might affect him sometimes, uh, you know, maybe in terms of blocking. It's going to take some getting used to with NFL defenders. But uh, coming from Georgia and blocking for, you know, that team in the sec and all that stuff yeah no doubt though like iron sharpens iron the guys that he was facing are all like blocking against in practice are all consistently top 15 nfl draft prospects so yeah i mean absolutely and like he's just a massive human he topped everyone in the 20 yard shuttle so he's agile as well like he moves way better than his size would indicate he does uh four six four second 40 yard dash top six in the 10 yard split 21 reps on the bench, which was fourth overall. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's somebody that undeniably rose his draft stock when there were a lot of questions about his collegiate production because he was kind of stuck on the same roster, stuck for a lack of a better term, as Brock Bowers, who is next year when we get to this the same episode is going to be one of the best tight end prospects that the NFL has ever seen. That said, the guy that really stood out, Zach Kuntz, I mean, obviously topped in the broad jump, Top in the vertical jump, top three in the 10-yard split, second overall in the 40, 4.5540, 1.5-second yard, 10-yard uh, split, a 40-inch vertical. Like, And the guy is also 6'7 and 260. He is absolutely massive. Um, and a really productive collegiate career, but also old dominion. So a lesser conference, lesser school, um, no disrespect at all, but it is just a lesser level of competition. There's not a very high hit rate um, for players to come out of that school. That said, he ranks first out of 1,020 tight end prospects from 87 to 2023. First, he's the most athletic tight end we've ever seen. Jelani Woods take a step back. Um, I really liked Zach Koontz as a sleeper. I don't think he's a sleeper anymore. I think he's going to be one of the higher drafted tight ends in this draft class. Yeah, I think if there was anyone who saw like a meteoric rise in draft capital, uh, it had to be him uh, because everyone yeah. else, of know, any Darnell position. Washington... Yeah, Darnell Washington was already a great tight end. We knew that, and a lot of people were ranking him very highly. Um, same thing with Anthony Richardson. He was one of the top tight ends coming into this uh, into this draft class. Zach Koontz, I don't know a lot of people who were draft, uh, you know, putting him very highly in this class. Um, I believe he was the former top prospect at tight end, he- like heading into college, like for high school. Um, Co- and I heard that he to Penn barely State blocked. And... Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. block. <laughs> Committed to Penn State, um, transferred out to Old Dominion. Uh, we, it, it's kind of hard to play at Penn State when you're behind Patty F. <laughs> but yeah, and it, funny enough is they had they had the top three. This is just a random story, but they had the top three recruits committed to them at one point in Pat Fryermouth, Kyle Pitts, and Zach Koontz. And Koontz was the top out of those three, like one overall in the recruiting class. And then they asked Kyle Pitts to switch to defensive end, and he decommitted and committed to Florida. 
Um, they kept Pat Fryermouth. Zach Hoon's transferred to Old Dominion. So, I mean, if that's kind of the lineage of of tight ends that you're working with, I, I feel pretty good about Zach Hoon's, and I think NFL scouts do as well, especially after that performance. Um, draft faller, I, I think it's obviously Michael Meyer. Um, I'll let you kind of take that one, man. It was horrendous in, in every aspect, and he was undeniably the favorite to be the first tight end selected. You know, I... I feel like I'm the one person who's not reacting as badly to it. Um, I feel like he was like decent enough at everything that he that he's actually like still a like a top tight end just because you want him to do everything pretty well. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely underwhelmed in a lot of in a lot of aspects. Um, but I think I'm a little less like you know like panic mode about him uh, versus yeah, you at least. Fair. I mean. Yeah, you calling him like a disaster is like to me. That's like, oh my god, what what disrespect? I mean, it, it was it was pretty bad. He he had a couple drops in the gauntlet was, as well, which you don't our, like yeah, to see. Okay. Uh, but more so, it's it's we do kind of. I should feel pertinent that we should revert back to what we were talking about with how you should value these athletic scores and and versatility is very important and he didn't bottom out and everything he was just very average across the board and to see guys that have kind of similar you know draft capital projections um sam laporta performed very very well zach coons performed very very well Darnell Washington very well and him performing the way that he did and not really being a major standout in anything. It's certainly affecting his draft capital. It's certainly going to affect his dynasty value. And I don't think that managers should have him locked as the number one tight end in career trajectory either. I think it's very, very possible that we see a team get enamored with one of those other names I just mentioned and actually put them in a position to succeed. Where if you see a Michael Meyer kind of be put in an Isaiah Likely situation where he was a phenomenal analytic prospect, but is just stuck behind Mark Andrews and you're not going to see valuable fantasy production from a tight end too. That's just not the case. You won't, not unless he gets injured. And when he got injured, Likely was had some decent weeks, right? But you're it's utilizing two tight ends in the NFL is good success for running offenses, but it's not going to translate to fantasy success consistently. And if Meyer gets in that position where he's more of a second round pick and more of a project player, I think it's a waste of a dynasty pick when what you're really attaching to his value now is certainly that collegiate profile, the collegiate production over the athleticism, over what we kind of think about his draft capital and where he's projected to land probably after this combine. That's a fair point. I, I will just say that this tight end class is like really, really exciting. Uh, so, you know, Facts. looking at looking at things relatively, yeah, he's not like like there's a lot of great scores in this class, like outside of Coons and Washington's like Shoemaker and all those guys. Um, so Michael Mayer, like outside of this class, he'd probably still perform quite well. Um but yes, there are, there are a little bit of concerns. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's absolutely a good bad, point like too, is, is part of the reason that, you know, we're kind of discount or I'm, I'm kind of discounting what he has done in, in his collegiate career is the fact that everybody else, like it's, you know, when you have the wave rising and you're not rising with it, you're going to be pushed down the, the tier. So um, on to the other group of pass catchers, because the wide receivers to me, their on-field drills were the most exciting out of any um of the groups but the athleticism certainly didn't match where we perceived and certainly not pre as previous years like the wide receivers of 2022 had such phenomenal combines garrett wilson chris Olave, Jahan dotson they, they all performed very well um Traylon burke's obviously a bit of a draft faller last year which i think quentin johnson kind of takes his place this year for for that uh big bodied wide receiver that didn't just didn't quite live up to the hype um that said like I really, really liked quite a few of these wide receivers and felt like it was pretty deep, um, a pretty deep class, maybe not necessarily as deep as 2022, but that it was getting overlooked as a weaker class for sure. I think that those people overlooking it as a weaker class may have been correct. Um, JSN separates himself as the pack, doing absolutely everything better than everyone else except for running the 40. And and why would he at that level? Um, like, why would I let you know that I only have top four, six speed when I'm literally the best player on the field? So I think that's one of a smart business move for him. 
he's my biggest riser as well because I think he just separates himself completely from everybody else. Um, whereas there were maybe a few guys talked about to get top 20, top 25 draft capital. He seems to be the only one that is absolutely solidified to do so now. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited for these wide receivers too. And uh, the class, like not a great showing at the combine, um, you know, production wise from college, maybe, you know, you look at that more and that might, you know, lead you to say that this is still a great class, which it could be. Um, but yeah, JSN, like, he also lucked out that a lot of people just like didn't do well during the combine. Um, but yeah, the one thing was the speed and him not doing that. Uh, Yeah. You know, why, why bother exactly? So, I mean, a good, a good bit of luck and, uh, preparation there. Um, I know another guy that people are very big on, especially, uh, Zay Flowers, pretty big riser, um, from this, uh, you know, he was, he was like very consistent, uh, another player who, you know, kind of just stood out because everyone else kind of bottomed out. Um, I also like Josh Downs a bit. Um, the only issue I have with him is his like athletic profile is great. And he did very well in a lot of these drills. Um, his 40 times like a bit slow for what people were kind Especially of expecting. Yeah. yeah. Cause he's, he's like five, he yeah, came in at five, nine, 171, which is like tiny like Devante Smith Marquise was Brown. like 181 I think yeah okay Marquise yeah. Brown there you go I was like trying to look at everyone I was like Tyree Kill Jalen Waddle like who else is this small he's a actually, little like... thicker too like 185 but yeah yeah uh but the 10 yard split 1.49 is is great for him the only issue I have with Josh Downs like to not like fully commit on him is uh I, this is not against like blockers there's no um, or like defenders there's no one he has to like try to like battle against and I feel like even in this modern NFL where smaller wide receivers can find success. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that these drills do enough to like call my fears that maybe like, he's still a bit too undersized, even for yep. a game where you can be kind of small. Um, but he's like, he's like middle of the pack for me right there. Like he's not a faller or a riser, but he did just good enough to not like sink his capital. He'll probably rise a bit. And, and kind of to touch on the previous statements of production reigns king over everything, especially for wide receivers, and these athletic scores are going to get impact draft capital in ways that they shouldn't. The, the top scores in 40-yard dash, Trey Palmer, Nebraska, Darius Davis, TCU, Matt Landers, Arkansas, Bryce Ford, Wheaton, Marvin Mims Jr. Those, those are the top five 40-yard dash. Other than Marvin Mims, who, again, is probably more of a flex caliber receiver on your fantasy rosters and career trajectory, None of those guys are going to be NFL relevant and fantasy relevant wide receivers, maybe long shot outliers, but literally none of them. And none of them have the production profile of these top guys like Quentin Johnson, JSN, Jordan Addison. None of them. 10 yard splits comes down to Darius Davis, Trey Tucker, Tank Dell, Rasheed Rice, Josh Downs. Tank Dell, a major faller for coming in and saying he's going to run absolutely blazing, quote unquote, and then having a 1.49 second 10 yard split and a four. 540. Yeah, not great tank. Um, vertical jump, Bryce Ford Wheaton, Rasheed Rice, Quentin Johnson has some good burst in this combine. Um, refused to run his 40, didn't look great in on-field drills, and came in 15 pounds lighter and an inch shorter than he was listed at TCU. That's obviously a little disappointing for somebody that we were told was going to be an athletic freak. Um, but vertical jump, he comes in at 40 and a half, pretty decent. This is where Jalen Hyatt kind of started to shine too in the explosivity drills. But again, all of the top scores until you get to three cone and 20 yard shuttle, which are agility scores, all of them, irrelevant collegiate producers, every single one of them, yet it's going to greatly affect their draft stock and greatly affect the way that the common player perceives how they should value these players coming into the NFL, because you want your world's greatest athletes to be world greatest athletes, but it simply does not translate at the wide receiver position. Yeah, and I think, I mean, from what I'm seeing, vertical has a bit of, uh, you know, a bit to do with, uh, you know, production in the NFL. But when you look at the bottom, Kayshawn Booty, 29. Now, that's Booty right there. Like, 29 is not a good <laughs> a good height right there. And Jordan Addison had a terrible one. Um, yep. JSN did, you know, not too great. Uh, but, you know, he has at least, like, elite production to to kind of cover that up and, like, good in everything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these drills, 
like you see the guys at the top, and if it's not like JSN, like these guys aren't getting drafted. Um, a bit of a, a bit of like a concern Fast. for a lot of players in this class. Yeah. Well, and then Kayshawn enters the draft with a levy of baggage. He's got concerns about statistical regression, dedication to the game throughout college. And I think they were upheld. He had a pretty despicable showing at the combine, bottom out in the 40, bottomed out in the vertical. <laughs> and he's obviously a major draft faller for myself included. Uh, for those that was hoping he could still maintain some second round draft capital and we could ignore a bit of the red flags with his production profile because he had such a great freshman breakout. Jordan Addison, another faller to me, but not majorly. Addison's still going to get first-round draft capital. He's a Bolitnikoff Award winner at 20 years old. Uh, he's had one of the greatest collegiate seasons ever when he was at Pitt. Amongst the top performers in on-field drills, which I think silences a lot of the athletic concerns around him, because during the gauntlet, they were like, it just was like, oh, he's he's still Jordan Addison. Like, okay, he just isn't blazing speed, even though he's only 170 pounds. Again, Shirley is still first-round pick, but clear behind JSN. And I think the same can be said about Quentin Johnson. Probably still a first-round pick, yeah. Jalen Hyatt may be a first-round pick still, but both of them absolutely fall a major tier below Jackson Smith and Jingma. Johnson's explosivity was nice to see, but on-field testing, again, wasn't that great. Jalen Hyatt touted for incredible top-end speed and acceleration. Very limited route tree. Was a red flag. It showed up at the combine again in on-field drills. And we were willing to ignore that with Jalen Hyatt if his speed and explosivity were basically the tops in the class. And they weren't. He simply didn't perform towards the hype that was anticipated for him. He did well. Like, he was still top, you know, 15 in most categories, every category, really. But didn't separate himself athletically the way that he did in college. And it's it's just disappointing all around, I think, for this draft class. It's still phenomenally productive you're still going to get very good fantasy assets but jsn kind of proved that it's top heavy and then everybody else is in a similar tier yeah i think that's fair i think the jalen hyatt hype was a bit like disrespect i'm not disrespectful it was a bit too much i think it was he did much. very well if i think if you were to look at him and not see the name you would say wow this guy did great at the combine um, you know, obviously the size, a bit of a concern. He's six feet tall and 176 pounds. Um, you know, that's, that's a bit, eh. um, but you see the 40 yard dash time, you see the 10 yard split. Everything's like super elite. The verticals high, the broad jump is high. Um, I do think he had like lofty expectations, but when it comes to like what you saw in college, like you said, the limited route tree, it does start to like piece together that like, okay, maybe this doesn't translate into a, a true NFL, like alpha, um, but I think if you're to take away those expectations, I think he did well enough where you could see how he could become like a contributor in an NFL team, um, yeah. just because of his speed, he's got a decent, you know, so if he can put on some weight, that'd be great. Um, so I, I do think the Jalen Hyatt, like, I, and not like, I guess like fall a bit, uh, a bit too much because of the hype that these people put on him. Um, but I guess if, if speed is the one thing you have, uh, you know, I guess you might as well do good. Like you said, you might as well be the top. And while he didn't do that, I think he did good enough. I I don't want people to get angry at me. It's not like, four, no, I four know you're not disrespecting isn't, isn't him. like yeah. burning. He's a, he's <laughs> burning. Like it's not, but to not be your, to not have your most highly touted attribute be better than everybody when that's really the only attribute that's upholding your red flag profile because it's he won the Blitnikoff, yeah but he didn't even contribute at tennessee before that like 26 catches and you yeah know, and so, also uh they're, they're they're like super fast times like these past two years i think we were discussing that in like dms and stuff um so you know if he did like four four in a fast year it, it doesn't like show as much like impressiveness um, it, it's not like his fault that, that like people are testing faster. It's not his fault. Like he can't control that. Uh, but yeah, like fair. when you look at, <laughs> when you look at all the classes at a whole, uh, these past two classes as a whole, like, you know, it, it, it does start to like look a little off for, uh, for Hyatt over there. Yeah. And then again, it, it's not like these things are incredibly correlative to the NFL success, but they are correlative to his draft capital. And when you are going to be at your one eight or one nine and are staring down the barrel when and Jalen Hyatt is the top selection on your ADP board. You want that draft capital to be as high as possible. And the number one thing that was going to drive that draft capital up 
wasn't the Belitnikov profile. It was going to be as athletic grades, which again, good. Yeah, I'm not demeaning it by any means. The kid's fast, but he's not the fastest. And that's where it gets like a little disappointing because it's undeniably going to affect his draft stock. Rounding it up and kind of why I left it to the last is running backs because, man, it's one guy, another really good guy, and then everybody else is exactly the same. Like, if Bijan came out and he was like, I'll just finish top five and everything, look like the best running back in on-field drills, kill all the interviews, already have the greatest production profile since Saquon Barkley, and you guys can figure it out. Yeah, I think anyone that is anyone who has created any sort of like prospect model, uh, Bijan Robinson is like number one in in like it's, history, it's basically. Perfect. Yeah, it's, he's perfect. Uh, man. So I mean, I mean, he's it, not perfect. There are there are better overall collegiate, but it's it's as good as it can possibly get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like there's a risk to everything, but if you were to take a gamble on him, it's like you're gonna hit like ninety out of a hundred times, maybe more. Exactly. That's basically how you got to look at it. Exactly. 100%, man. 100%. And I I do think it's pertinent to kind of hit on some of these other guys because Jameer Gibbs came in a little underweight, 199 when he was listed at 204. We obviously wanted to see him break that 200 pound threshold, five foot nine. But his receiving profile and his speed, man, Jameer Gibbs ran a 4.36, a 1.52 second 10-yard split, second and 40, top five and 10-yard split. Like, that kid is as fast as it gets and as productive as it gets. He's also coming from the Alabama pipeline, which we know NFL GMs love. He will get the draft capital. If you don't have the opportunity to draft Bijan at 1-1, feel really, really good about wherever Jameer Gibbs falls to you. If you're at the 1-4 and and quarterbacks go first, or if you can, you know, move back from the one, two, don't need a quarterback. Jameer Gibbs is going to pay off. He is as confident. I am as confident in Jameer Gibbs profile as I am anybody in this draft class that isn't Bijan. Um, Devin Kane came in pretty light as well, but blazed with a 4.32 second 40 has a phenomenal production profile from the sec at Texas A&M. He's somebody that I think affected his draft stock positively. Um, again, though, I want to say other than that is man, these guys, it's one hell of a draft class. It is very, very good. I think Zach Evans hurt himself by showing up 16 pounds lighter than his listed weight and then refusing to do any drills and just dipping out tank Bigsby, not really quieting athletic concerns. And Deuce Vaughn being 5'5 and 176, those are the biggest red flags for NFL draft capital. It will affect their stock. It will affect their dynasty value. Deuce is likely just a gadget player for his entire NFL career and certainly a day three prospect when it comes to NFL draft capital. Big risers, Bijan still. If you didn't think he could get drafted top 10, he there's a good chance it's going to happen. Um Obviously, like I said, Jameer Gibbs solidified himself as the number two, arguably pushed himself up into the back end of the first round with teams like Kansas City and Cincinnati staring down potential running back holes as well. Yeah, and I think uh, there's an underrated guy that you didn't even have on your list that I really liked was Evan Hull from Northwestern. Um, Good you know, call, he yeah, absolutely. He performed really well in every single category. Um, you know, he's not like a super great like size for running back, uh, but, you know, he's a good receiving back. He was. He got like 55 uh, receptions as a senior there. Um, and he looks really good when he catches the ball. So to see those athletic scores, like, you know, really, really high up. Um, I, I really like Evan Hull as like a guy who is like kind of lower on draft boards in terms of like uh, running backs. Um, I think he has a, a type of skill set that you could see translating to NFL production, fantasy I production. Um, and I think just like blowing these, uh, these scores out of the water, you know, I, that's definitely going to help him at least get draft capital a little higher, uh, which hopefully means that teams will want to use him. Uh, in terms of and fallers, it, you already, yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, I know. Just with Hall, I, I think he, <laughs> he's somebody that can fit into any system as well. So it, it, there's not going to be a much, much of a difficult path for him to get meaningful touches. He might not be the starter right away or even be drafted to ever really be one, but an injury away is all it's going to take for Evan Hall to be able to show that that receiving production can certainly translate to the NFL level. Yeah. And as we're seeing, uh, you know, teams are slowly, slowly, slowly adapting the idea that you don't need to take the top end, uh, you know, running backs. I mean, Bijan's going to get high draft capital. Jameer Gibbs is going to get high draft capital. Um, but 
you know, it doesn't matter if you're Isaiah Pacheco and you're going at the end of the draft. Uh, if you're good and the team is a good offense, like that's sometimes all it takes. Um, mm-hmm. Situation matters. Absolutely. So, you know, if Evan Hull gets drafted to a team where he's going to be like the third running back, then you need two injuries basically, or you need to like outshine some guys. It becomes a little tougher. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it, I don't think draft capital is becoming like as important to find success at least for like a season or two as an outlier. And if you prove yourself in that season, you might be able to get a contract from another team after uh, your rookie deal expires. Yeah, that that is very important to say too. And it's something that I, you know, I've kind of touched on in previous podcasts and episodes, but I think the running back position is getting devalued in general by general managers in the NFL. I don't think you're going to see the same draft capital allocated unless there's a Bijan level prospect or a Jameer Gibbs level athlete and receiving versatile production. Because this draft class is also so deep, and, and yes, I did say it's like Bijan, Jameer, and everybody else, but that's not demeaning everybody else. These are very, very talented guys. 2023 third or second and third round picks in rookie drafts are going to yield great prospects and great assets for your fantasy rosters. The issue is going to be navigating that. And one of the things that we used to navigate it was draft capital. And as you said, I don't think that that same draft capital is going to get allocated. It's kind of like when, you know, the the same psychology of, of drafting your fantasy rosters. If you have five guys in the same tier, don't break the tier profit and take the last guy in the tier. Right. If, if you think all is equal between guys like tank, big speech, Sean Tucker, um, Zach Evans, so on, so forth, Devin Kane, then Take the last guy, the guy that's last on the draft board. Let the other your draft mates kind of set that tier and set the high end value when you can get a very similar hit rate cheaper. Um, And I I think you're going to see that in free agency this year with running backs. I think you're inevitably going to see it come draft time. Um, But that doesn't mean that you should demean these talents either. There are going to be a lot more Damian Pierce's, a lot more james robinson's and that's exactly it where during their rookie contract or their first two seasons they will return value on your dynasty rosters much higher than the draft picks that you had to use for them yeah maybe maybe it is good to see these guys fall a little matt maybe (laughs) maybe maybe a bad player will uh i mean they're better than me at everything but (laughs) that player you know comparatively uh Maybe they'll just get a starting role for a season and just kind of, you know, like I don't want to draft Tank Bigsby, but you know, maybe in the fourth round if he's he's not going to be there. But if he was, no, he'll be higher than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just I wasn't a fan of uh, his combine. I wasn't a fan of his like tape beforehand. But yeah, I tank somebody that I I might have to ignore everything that I know about my prospect profiling just because I like him so much. Um, <laughs> he's got a good name for a running back. Yeah, facts. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, to kind of wrap wrap that up, it's does the combine matter? Absolutely, absolutely, it matters. But it is an infinitely small piece of a never ending puzzle when it comes to prospect profiling. Ultimately, the things that you should weigh the most are draft capital and collegiate production. Athletic scores will lead to higher draft capital, which helps you bucket these guys. But you should, especially if you're in early draft leagues, you shouldn't invest and put a lot of stock into these guys just based off of their athleticism. In fact, the hit rates in doing that would lead to ultimate demise of your dynasty rosters. Yeah, and I think a lot of these players, like the athleticism you know, shows when they play, like, especially if they're playing against great talent, which you always want to see. It's obviously harder to do when they're playing, you know, at old dominion, uh, where they're not versing, you know, Georgia and, uh, you know, Alabama. Um, but usually the, the most athletic players who are great are going to be at the top. They're going to have the best production and they're going to be drafted higher. So like, it's all kind of like a cycle, like you said, like it's all like a, a big circle. Um, and you're yeah, like the combine does matter in a sense, but it's not like the end all be all. And I think people are going to get too enamored with a lot of these players and get very disappointed. Um, you know, like maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, Koontz isn't like the next big thing. Like Jelani <laughs> Woods didn't have a great season, guys. Oh my God. Like, you know, 
Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we kept with the theme of proto episodes and ended on something negative. But yeah, <laughs> don't devalue these players in general, but do devalue how much stock you put into athletic scores. And I think that's kind of the moral of this podcast is athleticism is important, but the best athletes are going to dominate regardless of what the scores say. I think that's a good uh good way to end that perfect well on that note make sure you go check out the broto fantasy um football patreon patreon slash broto fantasy um the podcast you can find spotify apple everywhere follow us on twitter at psychward ff you can get themi at gridiron greek for the broto fantasy app it's at ff by broto for the podcast it's at broto fantasy we got at Broto FFJ, at Broto FF Casanova, at Broto FF Tim, at Broto FF Mike. We got a whole army out here. And please, most importantly, head to the Apple Store, the Google Play Store, download the Fantasy Football by Broto app for completely free. Get everything that we just talked about here at your fingertips all the stats, all the information, all the articles, this podcast itself. Subscribe, YouTube. We out here.